Please continue standing for the reading of today's New Testament lesson from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Please be seated. Good morning. I am Reverend Laura Brantley, one of the associate pastors here at Brentwood United Methodist Church. Dr. Davis Chapel has been traveling abroad and teaching, and they are on their way back today, so we want to lift them up in prayer for safe travels as they return home. I was happy that I was going to be preaching on the day that we're celebrating the OFAM ministry. As some of you know, we adopted our 13-year-old daughter last year, and she would want you to know she's turning 14 on Wednesday. It'll be her birthday. And this ministry was supportive of me um, checking in on us and praying for us. It was really helpful. So we are so grateful for the ministry, and I hope you'll be able to support them a little later in the service. Today, we are in our third week of our stewardship sermon series, We Q. Now, We Q, or emotional intelligence, is the EQ part of that, is about our ability to understand each other, to have awareness um, of each other, to have compassion and empathy. And we do that individually, but it's even more important to be able to do that communally. And when we do, the impact is exponential. That's the We Q part of the uh, series. So we began this series by studying how Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs to do ministry together, to preach and to heal. And when they went out in the power of Jesus and they saw how it was transforming lives and changing hearts, they had a joy that they brought back with them that was contagious. And today we're going to continue that series by looking at how the Spirit worked through this first community of believers in the book of Acts to keep Jesus' mission alive and well after his death and resurrection. We're going to see how this community was being shaped into the body of Christ in the world. And we're going to see in this community a rare oneness and a joy that they shared together, even while being persecuted for their beliefs. So as we begin today, I want to remind us what has led up to this moment in the scripture that we just heard read. At the beginning of Acts, they tell us that this community had about 120 people who were part of the community. And early on in chapter 1, verse 4, it says that they were all united in their devotion to prayer. And I think this is foundational. It's really important for what we see throughout the rest of the book of Acts and what happens. And we also hear that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We see the apostles Peter and John inspired to boldly preach the gospel message and that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
The text says that the disciples met every day in the temple for worship and for prayer, and that they performed many signs and wonders. Their faith led them to share their food and their homes with gladness and simplicity, and they shared the goodness of God with everyone. There was a power among them that was far beyond what they could have accomplished on their own initiative. But even in the middle of all of this glory, the community also faced challenges. They were persecuted for their beliefs. They were opposed by the temple authorities. Peter and John were arrested by the religious leaders and they were thrown into prison. Incredibly, the Spirit even used this because the text says that as they were being harassed and led away, that the number of the community rose to 5,000. Spiritual power was present in these believers through prayer and through their willingness to obey. When the authorities demanded that the apostles stop preaching in Jesus' name, to their own risk, they responded, is it up to you to determine what we say? Are we to obey you rather than God? We cannot stop speaking about what we have heard and what we have seen. Praise God for that because it is through them that the faith has come to us. Now, after they were released from prison and they joined the community, the community once again joined in prayer, and it was so powerful that the place where they were was shaken. The power that was present among them was undeniable, even by the authorities who opposed them. And people like you and me, they kept joining this community in spite of the risk. These early believers, they counted the cost, and they went all in. And all of that, that's the backdrop for the text that we heard read today. And without this background, we can't really understand how this kind of community that we just heard read about is even possible. The text says that the community of believers were one in heart and soul, and that they held everything in common. Have you ever seen a community like that? The text also says that an abundance of grace was at work among them all and that no person was in need. Those who owned property or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds. They would lay them at the apostles' feet so that they could be used for those in need. Have you seen this happen? The activity of this early Christian community was clearly a continuation of Jesus' ministry. It was a continuation of how he sent out the 12 and then how he sent out the 70 that we studied in the last two weeks. He sent them out to preach and to heal. This early community continued to realize the inaugural message from the prophet Isaiah that Jesus preached about, where he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This community was being formed into the body of Christ in the world. We see these disciples making the house of the Lord into a house of prayer as Jesus said it should be. And we see Jesus's prayer that we see in John chapter 17 being answered where he prayed that they would be one. And it's incredible to me that Jesus even includes us in this prayer. 
He says, I ask not only on behalf of these, but on behalf of all of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Folks, I want to suggest that what we see happening in today's text is not just a historical description. It is a beautiful image of who we are called to be today. When we hear that this community was one in heart and soul, let's remember that it was no easier for them then than it is for us today. This early community we know was formed in part through Pentecost and that there were people from all different nations present. They all had different ethnic backgrounds and ideological attitudes and worldviews, and they were made of the same human flesh that you and I are made out of. Yet, God made them one. And we should rejoice in this because in the face of our own weakness, that gives us hope in our future because we see what God has done in the past. What we see happening in this community is not possible aside from God. It cannot be derived from human wisdom or human power. It cannot be achieved through hard work or through sheer willpower. It is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit found in the name of Jesus, and it only comes through our putting our trust in Christ and submitting ourselves to obedience. We see this kind of submission in Barnabas, who the text says was a man of exceptional faith. Barnabas was one of the first examples of selling property and providing for the needs of the community. This kind of sacrificial, grace-filled generosity cannot be compelled through anything other than Christ-like love. I wonder, have you ever seen anything like that happen today? Well, I have. Let me share a story with you. Most of you have heard about our transitional recovery home for women, Healing Housing. We have two homes in Williamson County, they're right beside each other, and they house up to 14 women who are uh, working together on their recovery. Now, what you might not have heard about are the stories that happen inside this home. You might not have heard about how powerful this ministry has become and how it transforms lives. It is giving hope to women who have often lost everything to addiction many of whom are also recovering from past physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. The testimony that these women offer about the impact of healing housing is tremendous. And they say so many things that are helpful. There's so many different parts of the program that are helpful. But the most frequently cited thing is that this is a healing place because it's a place where they experience love. Sometimes, for some of them, This is the first time that they've ever experienced that kind of love in their life. So a few years ago, when Healing Housing had just gotten off the ground, things seemed to be going really great. That is, until we received notice that the owner of the homes we were using for the ministry had decided to sell them. Now, we had no idea what this meant exactly, but we knew that the ministry was at risk. So what did we do? Well, we started praying earnestly and seeking a solution, and at the time, we really had no idea how this would be resolved, because finding a ministry or houses for this ministry in the first place was extremely complicated 
It was not an easy task. We needed homes large enough to house um, a good number of women. It needed to be near work opportunities and transportation. And it needed to be in a place that wouldn't cause a fight with the neighbors. When we found these homes, it seemed like a miracle. It seemed like an answer to prayer. So naturally, we were concerned when we heard, heard that the homes were being put on the market, but we had faith because God had shown up for us so many times in the past in this ministry. It's been really amazing. So in our powerlessness, we just trusted God. And we prayed, Lord, we just don't think it's your will that we're going to have to send these women back to places where they're going to be at risk of relapsing. And as things started to look really more desperate in our human eyes, God came through in a totally unexpected way, a miraculous way. A fellow believer, a friend of a friend, offered to purchase the homes for the sole purpose of securing the location of this ministry. He didn't need them. He wasn't going to use them for any other purpose. This generous man sunk hundreds of thousands of dollars into this investment because he believed in the mission of healing housing, which at the time was the only recovery home for women in Williamson County. So thanks be to God for the power of prayer and the movement of the Spirit. You might say this was an Acts 4 kind of moment. We were a community of believers who came together in prayer, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit, and God brought forth something greater than we could have thought of or imagined. I was speaking with the current executive director of Healing Housing, Tracy Levine, and I asked her about the culture, the community at Healing Housing, and I think her response is really instructive for us. I'm going to share a little bit of what she said about this ministry. She said, the women in the homes are incredibly different from one another, but they share in a common purpose. Living together isn't easy, but it is powerful. Community happens as they serve one another and as they hold one another accountable. The health of the whole of the community always must come first. They are vulnerable about their shared weaknesses, and they know that one slip-up does not define who a person is. We bear our brokenness together, she said, and this makes us stronger. Together we have a strength and a hope that would not be possible alone. Tracy then observed how easy it is when we live together to point out all the wrongs in each other. But that pointing out and appreciating the good qualities in each other is what makes a place healing. She said, we discover that our interpretations of others, the ones that we make up, that they are not truth. And when we remove these falsities and we take down our guard 100%, and when everyone shares their pain together, that's what binds us together. We pray, we surrender, we know that we are not the ones in control. In this house, she said, we are immersed in God's presence daily. And hopefully we will carry that out with us, out from this house and into the next. Pretty amazing. Sounds like a WeQ community to me. It sounds like a community of believers. There is a vulnerability that can happen in shared brokenness that is not possible when we are grasping and we are trying to stay in control ourselves. 
Being one in heart and soul requires us to think more about what the other person needs, maybe than what we want. It requires the self-emptying love of Christ, who, although he was in the form of God, he emptied himself and he took the form of a slave. He humbled himself, obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. The community that we see active in this early church, this is the community that God wants to see in us. It is the community that God wants to see in every age. I wonder sometimes, does this even sound realistic to us? Yeah, I know Paul and Barnabas separated when they got into a disagreement over John Mark. We are all flawed human beings. We always seem to mess things up, but none of that changes God's vision and intention for us. In spite of ourselves, God desires that we be one. The church then and the church now is to be a community that prays together and waits for the unimaginable to happen. It is to be a community where the reign of God is realized, where we use our resources to bless those in need, and where we preach with confidence to everyone we encounter that the kingdom of God has come near. We see glimpses of this kind of community in our midst every day, all around us. As Toy proclaimed last week, We need to rejoice and we need to celebrate all that God is doing in our midst. We need to celebrate our OFAM ministry. We need to celebrate all of our ministries that give us an opportunity to serve others and to show selfless love. Let us rejoice that we are one in Christ wherever we serve together. Whether it's in Stephen ministry or Sunny Day, the flower ministry, visitation or prayer shawl ministries, in our recovery ministries, parish nurse, handyman ministries, in our funeral teams, in our volunteers at VBS and at Kids Sale. We are one when we study and we worship and we pray together, whether we all agree with each other or not. This is God's design, not ours. The founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, put it this way. He said, though we cannot all think alike, may we not all love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without a doubt, he said, we may. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. Jesus went to those who had little expectation that anyone would come to them. And so too, that's what we are called to do, to go out to the least, the last, and the lost. And when we see this happening, when we join in together, one in heart and soul, I think God smiles upon us. We see this in our youth mission trips and choir tours. We see it when we pack OFAM Easter baskets and school supplies for Christmas in July. We see it when we restock the pantry and we build a house for the habitat for humanity. 
We see it in Room in the Inn and Rise Against Hunger and our benevolence ministry and disaster recovery through healing housing and harvest hands. We see it across the globe. We see it in South Africa and Mexico and in Honduras and in the Middle East and in North Africa. And I could just go on and on. It is in the going church that we are one. The power of God is using us, church. In all of our sin and brokenness is using us because we all love Jesus and we're all doing our best to follow him. This, I believe, pleases him. In that prayer in John 17, let's remember that Jesus prayed for us too. That's a pretty humbling and a pretty empowering thought. Friends, we are the church and the world needs the church. May we know that God who is at the beginning of all things, who is now and ever shall be, is at the helm. The resurrection power that birthed the church is the power that continues it. Nothing less and nothing more and nothing, not even the gates of hell can stop it. Let's believe and embody this truth in the fullness that God intends. May it be so. Amen.